everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. I am your host, Timuchin. Uh, we're recording this on April 26th on our usual Monday night shift. And with me this week is the usual crew. Uh, Paul Bickler's with us, minus his soup this week. Uh, how's it going, Paul? I'm as pessimistic as ever. But no soup? <laughs> that can't be helping the mood. No, I, uh, no, I'm not eating today. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and with us, uh, I don't know if he has his wine because it's usually under the camera, but with us is all we're doing the Modelo this week is the <laughs> Irish Jamie. What's going on, Jamie? Not too bad, folks. Good to be back. Cheers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, have a yeah, oh, open up one for me. We have a lot to talk about, and sadly, none of them is probably too exciting. But as we talked about last week, these podcasts almost serve as therapy after a while. So this is our weekly hour of therapy. Uh, <laughs> but before we start the therapy session, uh, let's do the Liverpool news in 60 seconds by Jamie. Jamie and go. Got a few good results to talk about this week. Uh, folks, we had the Friday game, which was the under-23s. Unfortunately, they lost 4-1 to Spurs. Uh, moving on to Saturday, the 24th, we had the under-18s uh, versus Middlesbrough, and they absolutely demolished Middlesbrough, 6-0. Um, two goals by Kyrie Gordon um, and four goals by the Polish wonder kid. Um, our Polish listeners are probably going to murder me for this. Musilowski, four goals. Um, Unbelievable. I mean, they, they call him the Polish Messi, but uh, my God, he's some talent. And then the LFC women beat Sheffield United on Sunday, 1-0. And despite the scoreline, it was a bit of an action-packed game. There was three missed penalties, uh, one in the 91st minute. It was a, a great game by all accounts. But that puts the women at seven games unbeaten now, so good for them. Um, and obviously we know what happened with the Newcastle game with us. But moving on, news coming out today that Gerard, Fowler and Owen are up for the Premier League Hall of Fame. And speaking of Wonder Kids as well, Harvey Wonderkid Elliott is nominated for the Young Player of the Year. And he's up against two other young lads. So it's only three nominations on that one. So very good. Before we get to the thing, since you just mentioned that, I was looking at that earlier today when the news came out. Do you guys give any value, importance? Do you guys even care about the whole the Hall of Fame thing? Because honestly, I've never something that I've really paid attention when it comes to soccer, especially. There was like so much arguments going back and forth about it today. Like, you know, oh, should titles count and all that kind of crap. But uh, do you guys give any value to it? Is it something even like, I I didn't even, like remember myself regularly following it to be honest with you. I mean, well, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's good for the game that they're recognizing the quality we've had in the league. Um, I could care less um, as long as Gerard and Fowler are in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I seen what you were talking about. You know, obviously Gerard didn't win any Premier League titles, but. The way the man played the game, um, phenomenal. So, I mean, he, he definitely is deserving of being up there with the likes of Alan Shearer and Thierry Henry, which I believe are the, the, the two um, inducted into the Hall of Fame today. So, I mean, I, honestly, that whole title concept is totally bullshit, even in you know American sports when they talk about, you know, like NBA and stuff like that, where there's five guys on court. So in soccer, there's 11 people. So, I mean, one player cannot win your titles alone, uh, regardless of how good they are. But uh, do you give a lot of care to the whole Hall of Fame concept there, Paul? Uh, I mean, I, I frankly, I found it very amusing because, I mean, we <laughs> We spent the past week really shitting on American ownership in sports, and then we have this Hall of Fame idea, which is very distinctly American. Okay, yeah. I mean that, like, but nobody says anything about that. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think I would care more about it once it's once it's larger, once like once it's more established, because you know part of the 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 cool thing about the Hall of Fame with American sports is it's essentially as old as a sport, right? Um, for the most part, I mean, there it's 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 so ingrained in the the roots of the sport that like we have a clear criteria of what it takes for the most part to get in. Um, 
but there also is some very distinct arguments and so whether somebody should go on the first ballot second ballot what it takes to get in for some of these players so there's some very interesting conversations that happen from that i don't think we're there yet with epl like i just don't think i think it's too young but like to have some of these like for the conversations to be really fun well like if x y and z got in why doesn't this player get in right like we haven't got to the part that i think is really interesting yet yeah that's fair i mean that could be maybe one reason that i'm kind of like I feel like so out of the loop and could not care less kind of thing, but maybe down the road, you know, you start talking about players and then yeah, have something to compare it to. So that makes sense. I just wonder what you guys thought of it. Cause when I saw it online and the obnoxious conversations that were going on with it, I mean, I moved along cause I didn't want to get into one of those debates, but uh, I just wonder what you guys thought. So let's get to our trivia of the week before we start the Newcastle game talk. Uh, last week I asked you guys who the oldest player was, that played for Liverpool, uh, actually played in a Premier League game. So, Jamie, this week's question is, me being lazy and going the complete opposite, who is the youngest player to go and play in a Premier League game with Liverpool jersey? Ooh. And, a, and a bonus point, if you know where they are now. Where are they now? Ooh. That's really a stretch. That would be a tiebreaker, but it's really a stretch. So let's see if we can get the names first. Oh, it would it be Woodburn, possibly? No, uh, he's got to be up there, though. Yeah, I'll stick with him. Go ahead. Woodburn, that's a good shout. Uh, Paul? Is it? I'm going to go Raheem Sterling, Manchester City, obviously. Uh, but, but yeah, Woodburn would have been a guest for me, too, who he's now back at the club, right? I don't think he's loaned out. I think he's back. Uh, he's there. He's like actually scoring goals nonstop with the U23s, I believe. Correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sterling is a good shot as well, but not the winner. Woodburn was third. Raheem Sterling was second. So uh, we'll get back to that and give you guys the answer on that one while you guys storm. And I'll give you the answer. So save Google the hassle. <laughs> so let's talk about this game. As painful as it was, it's almost like the same thing about talking about the Leeds game. But uh, let's talk about it. It's almost like it's a different game because it kind of was. Uh, so Newcastle, let me give you guys the stat first, and I'm going to come to you, Paul, first uh, and, you know, get your thoughts on the lineup and stuff like that. But I saw this today and in this year, not this season, but in 2021, uh, I just saw the stat online. Actually, Dwayne Robinson posted in our LFC America group. Um, Fabinho in 2021, uh, when he plays in defense, we've had three draws, four losses. When he plays in midfield, we won four, drawn one, and lost one. So having seen these stats and knowing these stats, how bad is Reese Williams and does Ben Davies exist that we're putting Fabinho back there? I know this is a sore spot for you anyway, so we'll start with you, Paul. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, so we know Reese Williams is not there yet. Apparently, Ben Davies is not a real person at all. It's just a hologram that we signed. Um, and we just through, manufacture through light and optics a player who doesn't actually exist. Because that's the only fucking reason I can, I can possibly think that we would continue this whole <laughs> center back thing. Because it's so clearly obvious that it doesn't work. And it hasn't worked really since the turn of the year. Um so, yeah, like, I don't have anything nice to say. Like, I feel like I, I just, ah, dude, I just, I don't understand it. I really do not understand it. And I think Jennings made a really good point on, I think it was, I think it was like the Super League podcast, like somehow we were talking about it, but he made the point that like the entire system is designed. It's not a team that's designed to score from midfield. It's a team that's designed to score from wide like wide areas on the pitch through manufactured offense that sort of keys on ball control, the midfield passing an organization. And that really comes down to three critical pieces. Um, Miller in and out Jordan Henderson and Fabinho. So with Jordan out injured and Fabinho back in, in defense, you've taken two of those three pieces and you're just relying on one person when you've really got to have two of those three in there. So like, I just, I do, I don't get it. 
I, I know that we make this argument about how like we're just not we're missing chances, blah blah blah. You know, 56 shots on goal in two games and two goals. I I still firmly believe that so much of that lack of confidence in front of goal has come from the fact that we're just not manufacturing the sheer volume and types of chances that we're used to. And it's just been critical mass compounding on top of each other over the course of the last two or three months. But yeah, I do not get the, I do not get the Fabinho thing in defense. I don't get it. And, and to be fair. Yeah. I mean, we, we started well, I mean, almost like started with a goal up and it looked like, Oh my God, finally, maybe we get, this is going to be the game where we're going to be able to convert chances and everything like that, but it didn't pan out so much. And maybe if we do convert a couple more of those chances, we're not talking about, you know, Fabinho at all. We're saying, hey, you know, finally we're getting our finishing touch and stuff like that. So, I mean, confidence seems to be, I guess, the obvious one. But, Jamie, why the hell can we not finish? Jesus, man. That's a tougher, trippier question there. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's almost becoming a running joke now. And, you know, we all know that it takes Mane and Salah and, and, and Bobby, to a certain extent, is included in this as well. It takes them a few chances to, to really get their, their shooting booth on. Um, and it used to be the way where, you know, if Mane misses a sitter, you're like, okay, it's fine, it's fine. He's going to score the next chance he gets. Same with Salah. He's going to score one of these chances. And... I guess when we score in the third minute mark, which we haven't done a lot of at all this season, it kind of it kind of resets them. You know, I like where the fuck was that goal, the Real Madrid game? You know, when we needed to score early, we didn't. When we don't necessarily need to score early against Newcastle, we get one. And by the way, what a touch and what a swivel and what a finish on Salah. Lovely goal. But that, the way he took that chance is the way you'd want to see them take all their opportunities. Like, almost as if, like, there's no time to think about it. It's just a shot in anger. You know what I mean? Like, he, like he didn't overthink that. He didn't try to create it out of nothing. It just kind of happened. You know, he, the ball just came over his shoulder, took a lovely touch, and bang, goal. If we're just missing, we're missing that. We're missing that clinicalness that, I don't know. It's like one of those things where, you know, you're waiting on a bus and no buses come along and then you miss your bus and then all of a sudden three or four buses pile up right there at the bus stop. It's like, you know, what the hell? Where were you 10 minutes ago? Where were you three games ago, Salah, third minute goal? <laughs> I mean, I know what Paul is saying and I agree especially for those games where we didn't create a lot of chances because you can kind of almost like tighten up a bit, think about it in an extra split seconds and stuff like that, expecting the chance not to be there or coming back again. But the last two games have not been the case. We've created opportunities. They had their chances. I mean, like some of the ones that, I mean, my name mainly probably is blowing more chances, I would think, than, uh, others in terms of conversion rate he's much lower uh most seems to be about the same uh bobby is slightly less but Mane is way lower and he's like really climbing up those charts and missed chances about to take over paul's boy bamford pretty soon over <laughs> here uh but why uh do you have a theory paul apart from that confidence issue you talked about i mean because the chances are there and they were good chances we're not talking like half chances, if you will. There were some ridiculously clear-cut chances where it was a lot of, for fuck's sake, somebody put it in the nets, you know, like as we were watching and we were like chatting as we were watching the game. I just think it's a combination of fatigue and confidence. And I think the confidence goes back several months now. And that stuff, like, you know, you asked, like we, we were talking at the end of like, what was it two pods ago? And you were like, we were talking, maybe it was last pod. We were talking about top four chances are there, right? And you guys were all like, yeah, we look, look at the run in. We're, we're optimistic about it. And, and like I said, my comment was, what have we done lately that gives you an idea that we've turned the corner? 
Yeah, yeah like, that was the last part when you shit on my optimism. I I, right. I, I wrote that down. Yeah. <laughs> Dear I, diary. I, and that's what you get. But uh, no, I really, I, I really think with like, I really think with fatigue and confidence, like there has to be a hard reset. And I do not like it's like it as much as I'd love to see us get top four. I don't see it changing until there's a hard break. Like that these guys actually get a proper break and a proper preseason in the reset. I do not see it changing. Um, and part of that's down to, to tactics, which is like a separate conversation altogether. But like for me, the, the, what we're talking about right now in front of goal, to me, that just looks like fatigue and confidence. So you brought up tactics. So let's delve into that slightly. I just want to mainly talk about substitutions because we talked about it. I, I believe it was last pod where we said, you know, we didn't have the proper off season to be able to maybe make adjustments that, you know, club would normally make in the off season in terms of like tweaking things and stuff like that. So as people kind of like try to defend us or think they have the formula, we kind of change ours a little bit. So everybody gets thrown off, which is what we have done in every off season to be fair to club. Um, so this substitutions, Jamie, uh, especially Thiago coming out probably took the most criticism. I have another one that nobody seems to have mentioned, but let's start with the Thiago move. Cause I really felt like he had a good game and my initial thought was he's gassed, so that's why he's coming out. But you watch him on the sideline, and it did not look like a happy dude that felt like he was gassed and he had to come out. It looked like a dude. And I know players want to play regardless and stuff, but he looked like a dude that was frustrated that he was taken out. Yeah, fairly so. You know, uh, I think, well, first of all, nobody wants to be dragged off before you feel like you've, contributed to that win and like in his, his post-match interview he, he, Thiago's talking about um, he says uh, we could for sure have scored a lot of goals in the first half but at the end you're dominating the game winning 1-0 so you have to close the game with 1-0 uh, that's the essence of the sport your aim is to win and we didn't deserve to win this game because we conceded and I, I, I can get a little bit of what you're saying I, I feel like he felt, especially with what he's saying right there, I feel like he is annoyed at himself that he didn't contribute when he was on the pitch and even more so than the fact that he, he wasn't on the pitch when we conceded. Um, it's definitely a, a strange substitution. Like you're saying, he, he probably hasn't got the legs. Maybe the sports physio was saying he's, he's in the red zone and we're trying to manage him for the next five games because they're just as crucial, you know, Top four still doable if we just win. That's all all we can do right now is just win. So, <clears throat> but getting back to Thiago's substitution, I, I definitely feel that he felt that he could have put a stamp on the mark, uh, stamp on the game. And, and I know he hasn't got any goals or any assists, but he's he's still there to do a job. And I, I feel like he he felt like he didn't do that job. And I'm almost okay with, you know, Curtis finally getting a sniff to go in there. But I felt like when you have a front three, especially, you know, like missing all the chances they missed. And I know you probably don't want to hurt their confidence more than anything else. But at a time in the game where it was important to hold possession, because uh, you know it's this is going to happen. It's just psychological. It happens regardless of how much you dominate a game. The five, last five, ten minutes, if you're only winning by one, you're going to kind of sit back a little bit. It's just psychological. It happens every freaking game, yeah. regardless of what level, you name it. So knowing that, why wouldn't you take somebody like Mane or, you know, like Salah or somebody out, put Curtis there if you want more energy, more running around in the field? Uh, that's the part, I guess, that like confused me in terms of that substitution. And even before then, we had kind of like lost midfield. I thought Milner kind of helped bring in some of the energy, but we would just not be able to hang on to the ball. And I thought that's what Thiago did great in the first half. So, Paul, what's your take on that? I mean, this is just me repeating myself at this point. Like, I haven't understood the substitutions all year. And, I mean, part of that just comes down to a real lack of options. Like, if you look at this bench, it's, like, incredibly thin. Like, when you look at the fact that, you know, Navi Ox and Shaq have all underperformed, um, don't, like, 
you know, those are players that like, if you're looking for a late game spark can do something in the right moment, but like, you know, just, it's a sad bench, man. I don't, I, I didn't agree with taking Tiago out. I thought he was having one of his better games and I thought he was really, really, you know, he should have had like probably two or three assists first half. Um, <clears throat> I thought that like, just like in the champions league game, we lost the midfield when that substitution was made. Like, and this is, this is the problem that I have with Jurgen Klopp this year is he, that he's not learning from mistakes. Like we see 12 games of a back line that didn't work that he insisted on going with that took us into a tailspin. We've seen a pattern of losing games when he's making the same substitutions, um, whether it's taking Kabak off for Shaq or whether it's taking Tiago off in the midfield. Those are like game changing uh, substitutions that have negatively impacted this team time and time again. Um, so I, I do, I do not get the substitutions. Um, they're, I mean, the bench is sad. So, so I understand that at that point, I just, at that stage in the game, and this goes back to when I discussed the West Brom game with you guys, like this team has to understand exactly what Tiago said post game. We have to understand and figure out how to bleed out games. Like it massively it's one nil against Newcastle, you know? Yeah. And like, like, look, I know that they have, I know that they're designed to do one thing. They're designed to, to be full throttle, heavy metal football, but like, over the course of three seasons, we've kind of hit a wall. And at this point, there needs to be some sort of adjustment where we understand with 15 minutes left, let's pass and move, keep possession. If we're going to lose the ball, let's lose the ball in, in, in smart spots on the field. Like, let's limit, you know, our mistakes in terms of like, you know, don't put yourself in a bad situation to give the ball over in our half in the middle of the pitch. Like, just fundamental football stuff. Um, and, you know, it's not surprising that we've lost, like, what, the second most amount – we conceded the second most amount of goals in the last 15 minutes this year. Yeah. I mean, I, that to me says that we're not making in-game adjustments that need to be made. So here's another thing. So let's talk about, you know, like Klopp and in terms of substitutions because, you know, we talked about it before. I mean, obviously we love the guy to death. and But – I mean, even when we were winning, I've always never made sense of some of the substitutions. But one thing that he always did, and you can go back the last few seasons, is the last five to ten minutes of the game, yep. the third center back coming in. Either, you know, whoever isn't playing, it would be either Lovren coming in or Matzip coming in. The third center back will be coming in. Because if we're only defending one goal in majority of the teams, all they're loading, doing is constantly loading the box. I mean, if you're playing against maybe, I don't know, like City or somebody like that, they might be doing their normal thing, kind of like what we do. You know, we don't go into that mode or we're constantly crossing the ball in. But most teams, I would say, you know, average and below average teams, let's say not the top six uh, teams, are going to go to sometimes their plan A, but in most cases plan B, which is loading the box. And that's why you – He's always thrown in that third center back, if nothing else, because of height. Because at that point, the high line is not an issue. So why not throw like Reese in there to use at least his height in both games? We gave away a header or, you know, a high ball being crossed into the box to kind of like give up the goal. Any sense? I mean, I probably a rhetorical question more than anything else, Jamie, because. I can't make any sense. Of I'll, it. I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Um, Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he always did. Klopp always did love uh, total shithouse substitution nearing the end of the game, whether it was to waste time or whatever. And I loved it. I used to love it. But that was when we were winning games. Like, I, I loved his shithouse rate. It's, you know... It's probably not a very gentlemanly thing to do, but it's it's love and war, right? So it's all fair. Um, but yeah, the third center back. I mean, look, we fuck. I couldn't even remember our last sort of tall defenders headed goal. I mean, Jota's got a few headed goals this season, but he's fucking five ten. Um, I don't know. Maybe the defenders. I don't know, aside from Nat Phillips, who loves heading the ball, probably just couldn't hit the back end of a barn door if he tried. You know, he, 
he loves heading it 40 feet in the air. I don't know if he, he's capable of heading it. Obviously, he was injured. He doesn't count, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a mad one, isn't it? I, I used to love collapse substitutions. I used to love his game management. Um, and I, I, I find it, in general, hard to... And I know that's essentially my job on this podcast is to criticize and uh, evaluate the Liverpool team and performance. But I, I do find it hard to criticize the great man Klopp and his decisions. But it, it's all there in black and white. Like Paul said, we're we're throwing away games in the last 15 minutes and we're we're fucking leading the league on that shit. Like that's that's a complete flip reversal of last year and two years ago. Like last year or two years ago, we were, forgive me, Liverpool fans, we were the 90s Man United. We love to score in the fucking death of the game. We love to twist that dagger one more turn at the 90th minute. And that, that's what the, the old, the, the Alex Ferguson United team, I fucking hated them because they, they were never done. They were never out of a game. But Jesus Christ, for Newcastle to come and do that to us, like fucking Joe Willock, fair play to him. Um, Somebody, I've I seen it somewhere, somebody mentioned Dwight Gale. If he, if he isn't scoring against us, he's assisting. I, I'm about fucking done with Dwight, uh, Dwight Gale in Newcastle, to be honest. My Newcastle majority friends were straight on the fucking phone to me. Lads, like, thank you, Liverpool, blah, blah, blah. The week before, they were all telling me how many favours they've done Liverpool this season. And, oh, you are probably going to steamroll us, luring me into a, a, a soft uh, <laughs> sense of security. And, and the, the one... The one-one is just a. Yeah, it feels like a loss because it because it, it it is to us. You know, every game's a win right now, and that one-nil in the ninety-first minute that that felt like a loss, and I'm I'm still reeling from it. We're all still reeling from that draw. You know, it, it's unbelievable. There there are two things I want somebody anybody to explain to me. One, the benefits of VAR, and two, <laughs> the benefits of fucking zonal marking. Well. Like, why no? Like seriously, why do we do it? What is the benefit of it? Like I, I don't, I don't understand. Like I understand the concept of it. I just haven't seen it work yet. Uh, we've been decades, decades. We've been at zonal, haven't we, Tuchin? See, I don't mind zonal marking as much. VAR, you're on your own that one. I had no freaking idea. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I mean, it's helped well, us. Even when it's helped us, I thought it was a bullshit call. To be honest. As a as a as a short guy who played center back, I can see why you want zonal marking. I'm just saying. <laughs> and, okay, that, this is exactly why, because especially because you don't have to worry about matchups. Yeah, you know, what I mean, when you're doing the zonal marking, you don't have to worry about the matchups. You don't have you to worry have about to worry them about sending the big boys player. in. You just have to worry about every offensive player that has a running start ever. That's right. it. But you okay. also have to you also, you have to worry about people doing their job when it's man to man. It's much easier. You could say, oh, fuck, you, Skirtle wasn't on him. Agar wasn't on him. You know, like, zonal, it's much, there's a much vaguer concept of defending. You know, you can kind of. It makes it harder for me to blame somebody. And let's, let's face it, that's important. <laughs> I, I think that's why Paul is after. And that's why zonal marking is there. I mean, not so that Paul can't blame him, but uh, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> No, you're absolutely Still, right. It's a lot easier to plug and play pieces when it's a zonal marking because you're covering an area as opposed to one person. And then you are kind of eliminating, I think, potential of, you know, like I say, mismatches. Not only that, you know, one person losing their battle can screw everything up. Uh, whereas you don't have that as much in zonal marking. You cover your territory. If you do your job, you know, you cover your area. Even if somebody's coming in there, you should be able to body him up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people don't like it. And I think that's probably what you're right. Cause you can't really say, Hey, that should have been him. Cause it's kind of hard to tell. Cause you don't really know the set responsibilities either. I just right. feel like anything that's chest and higher, like any ball that goes into the area chest and higher is a decided advantage for an offensive player in zone marking. Because you're not anticipating necessarily a movement as much as you are defending a space. So like any, any runner into the box, he's got automatic leverage on a defensive player. Like as long as the ball finds that player. But right. I just think to me, it seems like you're putting your own guys at a decide. What it does help is when there are secondary chances, like when balls fall into the box, 
Like that's there's there's way better of a chance of you getting that ball out of there and clearing it. But in terms of like to me, if you lose on an aerial ballot and an area battle in zonal marking, you're fucked if you don't get it. I go back to my my youth of watching um, match of the day and people like Alan Hansen and Mark Lawrence and talking about oh that's diabolical defending like they would always like having a, a center back as a pundit is fantastic because you know these guys were were you know the the John Terry's of the game they they knew inside and out the the, the art of defending and to hear one of those guys slate your team for shit zonal marking or, sh- or a terrible uh, defending, um, it was, it, it kind of brought it to light. You know, it felt like you were learning something from these guys. So, like, I don't know. I, I, I miss that sort of punditry because the, the level of punditry that is covering the game right now, I don't know. There's no great defenders. I, I love Tony Adams. Tony Adams is a good uh, pundit, but I don't... Um, yeah, you got Kerriger yelling about it, which is hilarious when Kerriger is getting into tactical stuff, because all he did is hoof it upfield. Right. <laughs> and and it, Jamie Carragher doesn't make sense unless he's screaming Yes, right down your throat. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think... Partially because we can probably do a whole episode on this, but the whole media thing has changed more to, I was actually totally off subject, but uh, trying to put like a, like an intro together for another podcast. And we're like digging through old commentaries. Right. And if you listen to old commentary, it's not as sensationalistic, if that's the word, uh, as it is now. Like everybody wants a soundbite now when they tell, you know, when they make a call, probably more in American sports than anything else. But even with soccer, I feel like, you know, they have that line ready. They just want to go. It's not, doesn't feel as natural that it just came out. So I was listening to some really old soccer commentary and it feels a lot more calmer and it feels like a lot more like emotional in some ways. That's why I think Jamie, you were talking about, you know, LFC TV, like it feels like some of those games from, especially like, you know, when you have, or like a national game or something like that, or like a home team, like, you know, playing against a different country or something like that, you can kind of like really get the emotion out of the, now it's more, I don't know. It's like Diluted. sensational. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think so. Or, you know, they don't want to offend either one or they're overexcited regardless of what happens. I mean, Arlo has to be the e- most easily excitable bad dude like ever because <laughs> he's excited for everything. I'll tell you a good one to mention. One of, one of the staple diets of British, English, Irish, Scottish, Welsh football was the commentator was his name's John Motson. And he was known, everybody knows who John Watson is. He, he's, um, he's famous for wearing a big sheepskin coat in the middle of winter. And, you know, the old school microphones that goes right up to your lip. He, he was a fantastic uh, commentator of the sport. And if you're looking for, for, uh, for an excerpt, uh, a, a quick soundbite, just Google any John Watson. Like, he, he, he's fantastic. But you're right. It, it's um, Punditry is a poison chalice, you know, like we were speaking in our, our discord group about uh, somebody said something about Lee Dixon. And I was like, God, I hate him. You know, we're, we're, and that's kind of the thing about punditry. You know, there are ex players that you have a vivid memory of playing the sport, so You kind of have a, a love hate relationship. Like, like, um, like uh, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher together. It's almost made me, kind of like Gary Neville, especially the whole Super League thing. Um, when he said that he could probably stand on the cop with Scousers and be, you know, almost welcomed there after the whole um, Super League talk. Like, uh, it, it de- definitely warmed me up to him. But that, that sort of rivalry spurs on good commentary. And it, it's very, very hard to find. But good, good pundits are definitely hard to find. People like Alan Hansen and, and, and John Motson are a dying breed. But see, you made a point over there. Part of it is, I think, our age. Uh, yeah. Because you've seen the dude play. Yeah. Uh, so you have formed an opinion of him. Like if somebody just started following the sports or Liverpool in, let's say, in the last five years, 
is listen to Lee Dixon, they probably don't have that notion. You're absolutely of them, so right. Taking yep. it more neutral. I mean, I personally like Lee Dixon only because I like commentators and pundits who can kind of make fun of themselves. Yeah, like, absolutely. And not think of them like they were the shits. And know, I, like some I'll, of these I'll, guys I'll... talk like they were. I'm like, dude, I've seen you. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. so like I like the fact that you know, like they talk about like I, that's what I like about Dixon probably the most is the fact that he can't rip on himself. But uh, you're absolutely right on on that point on Lee Dixon. He does like to point the finger at himself mainly. I would suggest because he wants to beat somebody else to the punchline <laughs> a bit <laughs> like be, a bit a be. bit like myself when it, when you're self-deprecating you like to get that punch in there early on <laughs> so Liverpool is so miserable that we have to talk about commentary immediate now to they get our minds off of the game <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot for clearing up zonal marking for me guys <laughs> <laughs> and next week I'll solve VAR for it now I will never freaking solve that for you and I've seen some games this weekend I mean every weekend makes it worse I'm not moving towards optimism I'm just like running towards the other way whenever I see VAR uh, so before we obviously you uh, we, we can talk about VAR and that, that goal uh, the sudden disappointment my phone being flung across the living room and then I still feel like that's the bullshit rule. And I know it's by the rule, but they should be changed. The goal doesn't get allowed, but we managed to screw it up again. And I feel like, yeah, we just could not. We were in full panic mode for some reason, very unlike uh, how this team handled it. And that is kind of like, you know, how we say winning is contagious. And that was the attitude they had the last two, three seasons. I think it's almost like I, if there was a fast forward button, for the season, I will be slamming that shit right now so that yep. we can like refresh and restart. Yeah, like I don't even like I don't even god dude, like I'm gonna watch it, right? But I I'm not excited about the games anymore at all. The rest of the league. I just want like I just want the season to be over with, truly. Like I know a lot of people like want to see if we can get top four. I don't like because I don't think we can. Like yeah. it's just and it's been the same shit for months. It has been the same game. Like the only difference in the games in the last like couple weeks is that we figured out how to score in the first half and lose in the second, as opposed to the other way around. <laughs> well, at least we're getting one goal in now. I think like before it was just, and I feel like we're creating chances now. So maybe if you another like 10, 15 weeks, you might be able to put the pieces together. But so before we get to the top four talk, because uh, obviously we're going to talk about the United game. Uh, let's go back to the trivia. So the youngest player to ever play in a Premier League game, because uh, there was some confusion uh, about us uh, on our last one. Uh, I had a couple of people like message me and say, well, they thought so-and-so was older and stuff, but they had never played for uh, in a game. Like right. the bench players did not count. They so had the, the shirt, youngest... but they didn't get the cap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So the youngest player, which mind you, I, I was amazed you guys did not pull Harvey out of there. Yeah, Harvey oh, Elliott. Christ, I just oh yeah. I immediately thought about that after I said Raheem, but whatever. he's actually second. Uh, sixteen years and two hundred and seventy-three days. God damn, that's young. Wait, wait, uh, no. Number wait, wait. one, the wait. youngest player is Jack Robinson. Oh holy shit! I... Jesus. And do you guys know where Jack Robinson is now? <sighs> where what? Where did he go? Was it? It was like a team in red. That's all I can remember. Like Sunderland or something like that. Uh, he's been loaned all over this place. Uh, he was in the QPR for like four years, mm-hmm. but yeah. he is actually in the Premier League. Well, for now. So Sheffield? that should be your clue, no. right? <laughs> it is Sheffield. He's at Sheffield. He's played like 17 games. I don't recall seeing him, and I don't even know if I would remember him, to be honest with you. And this so is exactly why I mean you can't play Brewster. Interesting. And he <laughs> and he's, you know, this is why I'm always like cautiously optimistic with younger players because sometimes we're like, oh, this kid is gonna be something, and then uh you kind of like never hear from again. He only played like three games uh for Liverpool, three appearances, I should say. Uh, and then he was kind of like loaned out a little bit, eventually so to like went to Quiz Park Rangers, uh, loaned out a couple of times there and Nottingham Forest. And he is at Sheffield United at the moment. But yeah, good guesses though, guys. Not too bad. Uh, like good, I say, Harvey was second, Woodburn was third, Sterling was fourth, Owen is five. 
and that's how sad it is because I can remember Owen. Well, I'm roughly the same age, and I can remember the days of you know that celebration where he scores the goal and he just sort of rubs his hands together and he's wearing the the Reebok kit with the the the, the big ruffle white collar almost. Um, I, I I remember it like it was yesterday. But fucking Jack Robinson, Jesus. So speaking Good of question. Owen. I used to love Owen before he went to freaking United. Uh, Same here, so man. here we go, United, which uh, already dreading it because I know my brother is going to give me shits if you don't do well. I don't want to <laughs> hear his ass. Uh, already hearing about it. I mean, he's one of those guys that's like realistic, mind you, uh, knows where his team is at and, you know, stuff like that. But even when it's head to head, that's when things can get ugly and That's annoying. the thing with annoying. United fans. Yeah, annoying. they've had they've had a bitter pill to swallow over the past few years because obviously we won the league, but um, that still doesn't stop them from being, you know, we we like to call ourselves unbearable. Listening to United fan talk is, is equally unbearable as as listening to, you know, a Liverpool fan go on and on and on, like, you know. So I can definitely see <laughs> their point of view on it, but. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be a difficult game, lads, isn't it? So it's hard to be optimistic, even if I tried this week, which I know I'm not even going to do it anymore. One, I tried <laughs> one week and it freaking blew up in my face. So I'm going back to my uh, pessimistic week because I feel like, you know, it's a tough place for us. Even in our peak, we've struggled over there. Uh, Paul, I know you've already given up <laughs> by the looks of it, but uh, how do you think? I mean, how do you see this like one turning out? Do we I pull mean, a I miracle? Wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we drew with them. I think it's going to be super low scoring either. Like I could see like a nil nil draw. I kind of want to go, I'll say we lose one nil and it'll be like a freaking free kick or penalty by Bruno. And then Jamie will give me shit all week about how Bruno's <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about Bruno regardless of what happens next podcast. <laughs> Even if he doesn't play, I'll make sure I'll bring it up so you guys can go at it. I'll just walk away for 20 oh. minutes and come back. See who's still there. <laughs> so, I mean, what do you think, Jamie? I mean, do we, what are our chances? I mean, there's always a chance, obviously. I just feel like it's a very tough place to, for us to go to initially. Albeit no fans and stuff, obviously, but still, Um, it's a hard team for us to like break down and they do have a lot of speed that I can see us struggling with uh, in terms of like defending. They do. Um, and, you know, look, a lot of good talent up front, young Greenwood, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> every time I mention Greenwood, all I can think of is the Bobby Firmino quote that we all like to. <laughs> Throw around. Shout out to Adam over here. That everybody yeah, yeah. In you, you guys know what I'm talking yet. about. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's it's now or never. We have to raise our game. It's it's literally do or die. It's against our most hated rivals in their in their home. It has to be now. It's now or never. Like that's it. It it's the season wrapped up in a fucking nutshell, if we draw or lose this game. And, you know, Paul's not wrong by by thinking that it's going to be a 1-0 and a fucking shitty Bruno penalty or a fucking free kick. That's a very strong possibility. I'm holding on hope. I'm holding out for a hero. That's what I'm doing. I'm holding out. Just um, don't sing. Just don't sing. <laughs> no, no. But I will get on to... A wee song later on because I've got I really uh, feel like Free Fighters is coming in there or something. <laughs> well, it's either that or Stevie Nicks. <laughs> or not yeah, I was Stevie expecting Nicks. Stevie Nicks to kick in, but okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, honestly, it's now or never. That's it. Just, just, just wrap up the season. Five games left, lads. Even if we don't win them all, please just fucking beat United, please. So, Paul, I mean, it's a pretty safe bet to say that if you do not win this one, uh, top four is pretty much going to be out of the question. I mean, despite these guys are playing, I mean, teams in our area, aside from West Ham, is playing Everton, but they have a kind of like a fairly easy schedule. Uh, everybody else kind of like is playing each other where somebody has to lose points. Uh, but if we do not win, do you think we are out? Yes. 
Yeah, okay. I, well, <laughs> get back to you, Jamie. I, I, there's there's the sign bite for the weekend, folks. <laughs> Hot take. There's a wrap. No, I, I mean, anyway, I, I just think that, like, people keep thinking, like, West Ham is going to drop. They've been, like, one of the most consistent teams all year. They're big. They're physical. They've got loads of talent. That need that, – God, dude, they've got some really nice players in that team. Um, so, you know, Leicester looks like they've – I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to throw this one away, but you never know. Chelsea. I still don't believe in Chelsea. They look shaky to me still, even though they've been better since Lampard went their last three games. I mean, I know they, they won the big one versus West Ham, which I think could have gone either way really, but they, before that they drew Brighton and they lost to Sheffield. Yeah. Lost to Sheffield. So, I mean, I still think they're super inconsistent. So, I mean, there's room to catch Chelsea, I just don't feel great about it because I don't. I haven't seen anything from us that leads me to believe that we're any more dangerous than we were the last couple months, which is to say, toothless. Yeah. So your score prediction there, Jamie? Oh, I'll go for a two-one Liverpool. Come on, fucking come on! I mean, I would love that, but I'm going with a one-one. Because I dare I be optimistic again. But uh, yeah, I'm just going with a 1-1. Well, we've got our bases covered. We've got 1-0 defeat to Paul. We've got a 1-1 with you. And we've got a 2-1 win for me. So fucking <laughs> one of us. Is... I, that's the problem. I don't see us scoring a whole lot more on this. is going to be one of those games where, I mean, I read that we had more shots on goal this game than with the Chris pa- Crystal Palace game where we scored seven goals. I heard that too. And that's so fucking depressing. Freaking convert. So a couple of miscellaneous questions. I know normally we try to like speculate the lineups and stuff like that, but uh, at this point it's like potluck. We don't know if Matt's going to be able to make it because uh, obviously that decides a lot. Otherwise we'll probably see Fabinho back there again. Then it will be rinse and repeat. But a couple of questions I have for you guys. So one, if we do not make the top four, how does that really impact the off season? And I let me like kind of like ask it this way, I guess. Does FSG use this offseason to try to win the fam that win the fans back by spending money? Or complete opposite saying, screw you guys, money is not that important, eh? Good, because we're not gonna spend any money. Which way do they go, Paul? And does making top four have an effect on that? Well, I'm gonna just I'm gonna make a huge assumption that we don't see a COVID impact on the market like we did last window. I'm going to make that assumption. That assumption being made, I think that this window was going to be a big window for a retool anyway. And I think that there was always going to be a very big transfer. Um, You know, I don't know if it's Mbappe big, but I think there was going to be some big, big pieces coming in. And and I think there's going to be a lot of people moving out. Um, I mean, that makes me nervous because like, Squad depth is an issue. So if we're going to unload a lot, we better get a lot in. But um, there's just a lot of pieces. I think the mistake that we made, there's a couple things. So Klopp likes to play with a small squad. That's not feasible anymore. And I don't know what the workaround is for that. Like, I don't know how he changes that. He's sort of a one system guy, right? And so I don't know how that changes for him. Um, when we looked at the market, what we looked at is we always look for, obviously we always look for things that make financial sense. Like obviously buy low, sell high is like a strategy that we've always targeted and just getting players that are undervalued. Like that's always been something Edwards has been very good at. The other thing is like, we've always looked at position versatility, right? Players that can play multiple positions across the front or the midfield, um, I think the problem with that is, is that we bought some of these players. Like if you look at Nabby, if you look at Ox, if you look at Shakiri, these are players that we thought we could put in a number of positions and we never figured out what their actual identity was. And that, that's a that's, great that's, point. I think that's a problem for us. I mean, if we're going to buy people because they have position versatility and we can play them in a number of positions, like we're, we're, we're sort of like overshooting and not factoring in the fact that these players have to bet in at some point. So what? I, I guess I did. I, I sort of didn't answer the question. I I, think, <laughs> I was like, wait. So what was your answer? You made a lot, think, you made yeah, a lot right. of sense doing it though. I, well, I went off on that rant, but what I should have ended with is like, I think it's going to be a big window, regardless. In terms, I think there's going to be a lot of business right. done. I think that's fair. I think I think what you've said is absolutely spot on. Like I hate to say it, 
you know, we do have to shift a lot of dead wood. He's absolutely right, Paul. Fair play. Um, you know, I hesitate to get rid of them all. You know, I know I said a couple of weeks ago we need to speak about Naby in the past tense. Um, it's a difficult one. We definitely do need to shift dead weight, and Genie leaving is going to be huge. Um, players are obviously getting older. I'd hate to see any of the front three leave. I really would. Um, but I'm kind of with Paul. I see a big sign-in coming in. Um, obviously, we've got Quebec. I do think he's going to get signed. We've got Harvey Elliott coming back, who is a year older, um, had a lot of good experience with Blackburn. Uh, I think he could be an option off the bench um, in ways that we haven't seen this year. So one or two decent signings and maybe one or two fringe players that aren't going to cost the world but can do a job kind of across the board like we have seen with Jota and, and a few others. Um, I think it's, it's going to be a big season, big off season. And you're saying that's going to happen regardless if you make it tougher or not? I think it has to, regardless. Um, I think I've got the fucking... I think we're going to scrape top four, but I'm not sure if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing, if you know what I mean. Like I, I, I see a lot of people almost asking for a year without Europe. Um, and, you know, you, you sort of cast your mind back to Brendan Rodgers' year where we did have that year out of Europe where we've done really well in the league because we had no um, distractions. And I get that point of view. I totally do. But without Champions League, maybe we won't get that big marquee signing. And, and look, that's, that's just the reality of life right now. But I feel like we need to spend this year especially like Paul has said all year our squad's been thin um, and especially when you start moving midfielders into defense and missing defenders all season and therefore missing midfielders all season and getting to the latter part of the season we're missing Jordan Henderson you know the, the squad is thin so sorry Paul go ahead no you're fine I was, I was interrupting you I, I don't think that I don't think that missing top four is as big of a hit on – I don't think that makes Liverpool that much less desirable as a destination than a lot of people do. Because right. I think that all there, it has a lot to do with just the environment of the club and club. And, yeah. you know, you know, a year out to me, I think these players are smart enough to, to see big picture stuff uh, for a lot of things. Like, you know, some of them are – yeah, obviously some players are strictly wage-driven depending on their situation, their agent, and their temperament. I'd like to think that our club is pretty abreast of that and probably steers away from those players anyway. But I think, like, to me, missing out – here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want to be in fucking Europa. That's for goddamn sure. I don't want a Thursday night game and turn it around and play it on the weekend. I do not want it. If we're going to miss top four, I hope we miss it all. You know what I mean? I hope we miss the entire thing in, in our, like, sixth, seventh, and uh, we're, we're not playing. Like, the Thursday night situation to me is worst-case scenario. Yeah, I think so. That's probably will be the worst thing, really. Yeah, it's tough for our bus. Just do what American teams do when they want to rebuild, you know, just freaking like go down and get it down. Uh, so I really think the COVID market almost might help in sense that, you know, being able to sign some younger players that we might not offhand know uh, but you know, like rising stars that everybody, I mean, YouTube will be busy this summer, uh, <laughs> looking at those guys. I feel like it's a good opportunity to be able to get a lot of players like that and maybe unload some of our older unreliable guys, just because some of these smaller clubs need the money more than ever as well. So they do not have as much of a luxury as slapping on a high tag. And if you don't want it, oh, but that's too bad. Somebody else will come along because they cannot really take that chance. They need that income coming in because obviously, you know, they're losing a lot of income that they do not get anywhere else. Whereas, you know, obviously Premier League teams still get the broadcast money and stuff like that. So a team in Netherlands or, you know, Belgium, whatever, uh, is going to be needing that money. Uh, so I can see us like signing, 
you know, like younger players that have a higher ceiling at, so I don't see like one huge signing, especially if you don't make Champions League. I don't think you're attracting that guy. I know what Paul's saying in terms of Liverpool being a better destination than what it was. But I mean, it's not like these guys do not have other options to select from. And that's going to be one of the factors is my take. So let's go back. This is going to be my second question, kind of leading into what Jamie was talking about uh, in terms of like, you know, like the front three and stuff like that. Obviously, these guys are aging. So I give you guys, I don't want names because, you know, we'll have all freaking summer talk about names. But let me ask you guys this. For the front to add to the attacking line, if I tell you, Jamie, to build me a dude, what kind of a player do you want added to the front? Uh, Yes, I want strength. I want hunger. Yeah, I want I want somebody who can. Sounds like you're recruiting for Hunger Games or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, like I want. I'm, I'm, I'm. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm thinking of the, the, these adjectives that describe the players that we're trying to sort of ship out. I want somebody that can grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Somebody that that has the promise of Navi Keita and had the promise of Navi Keita and Oxley Chamberlain and and. You know, there's there's players like this out there. I know there is. Klopp knows there is. The the you know, the, the scouting department knows where these players are, and they're not going to cost the world. And like you said, we we've done a lot of early groundwork with the youth setup. You take a look at the under 18s, like the the young Polish kid we talked about, Kai Gordon. We talked about earlier on scoring goals for the under 18s. Um, these are kids that are going to come good. Like I know we've put a lot of um a lot of faith and a lot of uh, maybe misplaced faith in some of these youngsters in the past, Ben Woodburn, for instance. Um, but I do feel this current crop of youth in the underage uh, youth development are going to come good. Possibly not next season. That might be a little too much. Um, but Harvey Elliott especially. Um, but yeah, I want, I want the next Stevie G. I want the next Robbie Fowler. I want... I want somebody who has. I know I'm asking a lot. Um, <laughs> like, this is not Andy, fantasy land. I was like, <laughs> he has to be spouse. You know, I, I, I get that. But um, yeah, I want somebody who has hunger, who has drive, and fitness and health. <laughs> health and peace. Um, <laughs> what kind of a guy are you building, Paul? I mean, in terms of. I don't know, like, I guess I want someone personally, for example, uh, that can provide a plan B if need be. So if you're going to play like this, I want a guy, might not necessarily be a starter, but instead of, you know, your boy Divac, for example, somebody who can maybe come in off the bench and give a physical presence in the middle or something like, you know what I mean? I want somebody who's going to not fit the current mold in that sense. Uh, unless you're, I mean, this is of course all assuming right. that we are keeping all three and not selling one of them. But I mean, that's tough. I mean, would I want like a big? Are you talking about just up front? Uh, yeah, just for the attacking line. I'm talking about like you know for the front three or whatever we're gonna do attacking wise. Uh, like kind of like a type of player you would want. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's a couple of guys. They're... Up to no good, started making trouble in my neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> there's some guys that we're linked with currently. Simuchin said not to name names. So I'm not going to name names. Um, no names. That are like sort of good all around, pacey strikers, um, built more in the traditional sense. That would be nice options off the bench. Um, I, I see I see why people want like a big target guy that can come in and, and, and have some body and strength, but – like when we make that sub, we have to make a, a pretty huge tactical switch in the way that the midfield and the front line sets up. So it's like before we can have that player, that's a plan B, like we have to have a tactic that's a plan B. And I think that's been a bigger issue than the player itself. So um, for me, I would want like sort of a, I'd want a pacier all around striker who's got um 
who who's a good goal poacher, a good positionally, but can also strike it from range. I think that like we we miss a bit of a distance threat threat. Um, especially because I want that striker to be able to press. I want it to be a, a, a striker who can press and still shoot from distance. That's so yeah, club, just go out and sign those three anonymous players and we'll be fine. <laughs> I don't, it's not freaking hard and it's not rocket science. I don't know why they can't do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really think there will be opportunities to do that in the off season. And if they're willing to do that, uh, it should be a busy off season. I agree with Paul in that sense. Uh, after the last offseason, this will be the complete opposite, and it was always going to be. I just feel like the top four aspect will affect that. So let's hope we get that win and away at Old Trafford, which would be just, you know, add a freaking positive uh, pin to this freaking season, for God's sakes, if nothing else. Uh, and then that will put us in the talk again. I really thought we, I can't believe we blew four points in these last two games, especially the way we lost it, but it's just too painful to go back to it again. So here's something semi-painless, and we can talk about the offseason at the same time as well, because uh, I agree with Kabak coming back. Because if nothing else, he's got a freaking song now. So, I, <laughs> yes, uh, he does. so I mean, now nah, he has to come back. Uh, and I feel, actually, I thought he had a really good game again. Uh, obviously height is not a strength or like air balls, but I mean, I can see that guy being next to, uh, like Van Dyke and stuff like that and being, you know, really solid, especially with his age and stuff. Obviously my Turkish bias kicks in, but so you're the song, man. Uh, Jamie, anybody who listens to the podcast knows what did you make of the song? First of all, I uh, can't get it out of my bloody head. It's, it's been in there since the first day I heard it. And then what happens is I'll just start humming it. And my wife is, you know, through, through proxy, is, it's now in her head. So the funny story, quick, quick digression here. Uh, we were up in upstate New York a couple, of, a couple of years back, and we were in a nightclub or a restaurant or something, and all of a sudden the Jeannie Wijnaldum song starts playing in the background, and I fucking lose my mind. Like, my, my wife almost has to carry me out of the fucking nightclub because I'm just going, duh, 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 Jeannie, what I'll do. So now, now she, every time I go, duh, 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 I just cut it off. And she'll, wherever she is in the house, she'll finish the song off. So, so you're absolutely right. Now that he has a song, and it's a brilliant song, um, he, we have to sign him. But is it Russian? Is it Greek? Is it? It's it's definitely not fucking Turkish, right? Richard? Like what? What is it here? The first time I listened to it, it sounded Greek, but I think that was being over the instruments. It's more like a, a Russian bass, but it's like a northeast Turkey. I know what it is called in Turkish. I just do not know actually what that is in English. Right, uh, which is kind of like odd, but yeah, it's more like a northeast where you know obviously it's by the Russian border. Uh, it's kind of like a dance there, which you know. Uh, I couldn't do if you pay me to do it. I, should I know, freaking right? knees. Uh, so there's no way in hell I'm ever learning it after this point. Uh, I don't think I could ever do it. So I was, I think I was like, so good at dance. But yeah, I'm, I, I think he's gonna be. Oh, here we go. Uh, it's gonna be definitely one of those guys. No, you gotta, you gotta back. speak quicker. Set the back well, so, any parting thoughts, gentlemen? Paul, uh, we'll go with your pessimistic look. And <laughs> what, what do you think? Wake me up in time for the transfer pod. I'm good. Yeah. I just hope we finish, like I say, get this win this week and talk about something more positive and back to the top four conversation. Because, honestly, if you do not get the three points, I do feel we will be out of the top four conversation. And at that point, kind of like Paul says, might as well keep going down uh, yeah. and, you know, uh, not have the Europa thing. So obviously that kind of answers Paul's question, but I did see this online uh, this week, somebody asking in one of the Facebook groups, uh, if we are in Europe, I mean, so are you on the same page with that, uh, Jamie, that if it's not Champions League, might as not be Europa League as well? Yeah, I kind of, uh, um, and you know, that may seem disrespectful to the Europa. It may seem disrespectful to Klopp and the boys. It may seem disrespectful to the Premier League. But um, fuck Thursday night football. Fuck going to Russia and the arse end of fucking Azerbaijan. I, I, I just, 
I'm not for it. Um, it's Champions League or nothing, really, isn't it? I mean, and I, I'm not advocating that we throw games in order to not play in the Europa, but uh, I just, it, it sounds like, yeah, I am. <laughs> it sounds like a lot more hassle than it's worth, right? Yeah, we couldn't, throw that, we couldn't throw that stupid Champions League game where we got everybody injured and we in the rubber match. Fucking Mitchell and yeah, yeah. So I have no faith in us being able to manage that either. First, I was like, hey, at least the first couple of rounds, you can kind of throw the kids out there and stuff. But with our luck, I mean, that was uh-huh. another turning point in the season too. So, well, gentlemen, let's hope none of this matters. We win this weekend. We're gonna go on a winning spree and finish top four either way. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you all for listening. So hopefully next week we'll be talking about a win at Old Trafford. As always, turn on, tune in, and cop out with the American Scotser podcast. See you guys next week.